0: Today we are in Revelation chapter 22. Revelation chapter 22. Go ahead and turn there if you haven't yet. And I'm going to open us up in prayer. Lord, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your grace. And Lord, as we open up your word, we ask for your Holy Spirit to speak through your word. Speak through me and to each of our hearts. Lord, we're so thankful that we get to be together as a church body and so we pray that you would uh, bless that time as we get to come together once again pray you get the word out for all the folks to know that they're invited back to church in person again and lord today we just ask that it'd be all about you lord that you would be uh, our focus and our priority and so we give it all to you lord in jesus name amen Well, we are in Revelation chapter 22. Uh, Sounds like the worship pads might still be playing in the background, guys. Um, So as we've been going through Revelation, uh, we hit chapter 19, and that's kind of the the big battle that went down, where Jesus finally returns and he just throws down on the Antichrist and the false prophet, and they're both destroyed and thrown right into hell. And then chapter 20 talked about the millennial reign of Christ as He begins to rule and reign over those survivors of the seven-year Great Tribulation period. Now chapter 21, last week, we got to read about some of the details of heaven and what heaven will look like. This heaven that we talk about is the dwelling place of God and it's going to be located on the new earth. Look with me at Revelation 21, the first part of verse 1. It says, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So it's a brand new earth, brand new world that we're going to live in, and in this brand new earth is a new city called the New Jerusalem. Verse 3 of chapter 21 said, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. So we're gonna live with God. He's gonna be with us in the new Jerusalem, in the new earth. That's where heaven's going to be. And that was so exciting to read through that that chapter last week. And today, as we get into chapter twenty two, I've entitled today's message Our Hope, because we continue to talk about those details of what heaven's going to be like. And now in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 22, we read about the river and the tree of life. Look with me at verse 1. It says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So this pure river of water of life is flowing from God's throne there in the New Jerusalem. And you can just imagine the most Clear, cold, pure water that you've ever seen or experienced in some spring somewhere. I just imagine like a beautiful mountain stream. And yet this is going to be better. It's going to be more pure of a water than we've ever experienced before here in heaven with the Lord. And verse 2, it says, In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree yielding its fruit, every month the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations so in the new jerusalem there near the throne and near this this river of water of life is the tree of life and it's unclear from the text if this is one tree of life that's just big and it's massive and it's so broad that it spans across both sides of the river or if there's multiple trees of life here on either side of the river but Either way, the tree of life is going to be there in the new Jerusalem near God's throne. And this is significant because it reminds us of the very beginning of God's word in Genesis, talking about the tree of life, because after Adam and Eve sinned, this is what they were banned from. Look with me at Genesis chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. It says, Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. And so this same tree of life is now in the new earth, in the new Jerusalem. there near the throne of God. And so just a reminder that God is now brought all things around, and He's restored us. Not just our relationship with Him, but everything that we were to have with the Lord in the beginning. Now, this tree of life, it says that there will be, there's going to be fruit that will come from the tree every month for us to eat and enjoy. And to me, this is just a small reminder that heaven is a real, physical place with things to eat, with things to see, things to feel. Heaven is not just a spiritual place, but it's a real physical place. You may recall Jesus in His resurrected body, that He came before the disciples after He rose again. And we read about it in Luke chapter 24, verses 40 and 43. It says, when Jesus had said this, He showed them His hands and His feet. But while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, He said to them, have you any food here? So they gave him a piece of a broiled fish and some honeycomb. And he took it and he ate in their presence. And so it seems with Jesus' resurrected body example and the the, the resurrected new bodies that we're going to receive in heaven with the Lord that we can physically eat food, although I don't know that we'll need to eat food like we do in our bodies now. Now look at verse 3 with me. Revelation 22, verse 3, it says, And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. Remember, the creation that we live in, it was only good for two chapters. And then in chapter 3 of Genesis, with the curse, the curse of sin, it didn't just affect Adam and Eve's relationship with the Lord, but it affected all of creation. All of creation has been affected by the curse. And now, finally, in chapter 22 of Revelation, we read how in heaven there won't be any more curse. Because God's going to make a brand new earth. All of the creation that we know, as beautiful as it can be, as wonderful as it is to experience, it still falls short because it's cursed. It's not what it is should have been not what it could have been and so god is going to create a new earth with no more curse and so look back at the end of verse three don't miss that it says and his servants shall serve him we shall be with the lord god will be in our midst and we will live with god and serve him you know many of us we we think or we even ask what are we going to do in heaven Well, according to this verse, we're going to serve the Lord in heaven for all eternity. And you might say, well, what's that look like? I don't know. But it's going to be great because we're going to be with the Lord and we're going to get to serve and live alongside Him forever and ever. Look at verse 4. It says, they shall see His face and His name shall be on their foreheads. So we're going to get to see God's face in all of His glory, something that we cannot do in our earthly bodies. And so in heaven, we'll have that close, intimate relationship with God. To me, this is the best part about heaven because we could have the new earth, we could have the new Jerusalem with the streets of gold and the pearly gates and all the fancy stones involved in that city, and yet if we don't have a relationship with the Lord, it's not heaven. It falls short. You see, having that close relationship with the Lord, being able to see His face and experience Him in His full glory, that's what's going to make heaven, heaven. That's the best part, the most important part about heaven. Jesus Himself said in John chapter 17, verse 3, He said, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is in the midst of Jesus praying to God the Father, and he says, this is what eternal life is all about. It's that the people may know you, the one true God, and know him, Jesus Christ, who was sent for us. That's what it's all about. That's what eternal life is. And also we read here that, His name will be on our foreheads. And so, if you never got that tattoo, you'll get one in heaven. It'll say, Jesus, right on the forehead, because we belong to Him. It's going to be great. Now, verse 5. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp, nor light of the sun. For the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. We read about this last week, where it also said that God Himself will shine and illuminate The new Jerusalem and heaven itself actually said that there will be no need for the sun because God himself will illuminate all things and there won't be a night. And so it mentions it again here. I don't know if you've ever had a day in your life where everything just went so well or you enjoyed so much of it that you just didn't want the day to end. And that's what it's going to be like in heaven. It's going to be so wonderful to be there with the Lord in our new bodies. No more curse, no more sin, no more pain. And we're not going to want the day to ever end. And the good news is, it won't. It's going to go on forever and ever. And now, in verses 6 through 11, we read that the time is at hand. Verse 6 says, Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the Holy Prophet sent His angel to show His servants the things which must, take, which, with much, which, with, <laughs> which must shortly take place. And so in other words, John is hearing how amazing heaven will be. And he says, no way! And the angel, he responds, way. I mean, he says these words are faithful and true. You can believe these words. This is truth that is being spoken here of what heaven is going to be like. And then Jesus is quoted in verse 7. He says, Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that. For I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. Now, you might be thinking, I think we read about this part already. And you're right, because back in chapter 19, as John was hearing about all the amazing things that God is going to do when the end comes, John fell down and began to worship the angel, telling him these things. And here in chapter 22... It happens all over again. Once again, John is overwhelmed with what he's hearing and he begins to worship the messenger, the angel that's just telling him what's to come. And then both times, the angel corrects him. The angel says, hey, don't worship me. We only worship God. Everything else falls short. He alone is worthy of our praise and our adoration. But to me, it's significant that John does this, not just once but twice, because it shows that John is so overwhelmed at how great heaven's going to be, at how wonderful it's going to be to finally be in the presence of the Lord. And so for you and I, as we read about heaven, we read about what it's going to be like, I think for you and I, we're also encouraged and feel drawn to begin to worship. We just need to make sure we're worshiping Jesus, not anything else. And so verse 10, And he, the angel, said to me, Do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. You see, God wanted the book of Revelation to be available to the churches right away because He wanted the church from the very early first century to know He is coming back soon, to know what will happen in the end, to know what is to come, to know how the end will turn out. And so John is told, don't seal it up because Jesus is coming back soon. And we. The church would need to be eagerly expecting and awaiting the rapture and Jesus' return at the end of the second at the end of the seven year tribulation. Now, verse eleven. It says, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he who is holy, let him be holy still. I think what this verse is is telling us is that when Jesus comes back, when Jesus returns in chapter 19 and retakes possession of the earth, there's no more opportunity to change your mind. You see, those who had already been in rebellion against the Lord, they will continue in their rebellion. They will continue where they're at. And those who had already given their life to the Lord and and surrendered to him they will continue to be righteous in his eyes because of his grace and his love for you and I and so this verse is both a warning and a blessing it's a warning for those who have not yet put their faith in Jesus to not wait any longer because there is coming a day either for you personally where your life on this earth has ended or for all of us where the Lord comes back and he says okay The time to make up your mind is over. There is coming a time where it's too late to put your faith in Jesus. So don't wait any longer. For those of us who have already put our faith in Jesus, it's an encouragement, it's a blessing to know that we're going to be forever holy with the Lord. Nothing can change what the Lord has done for us. Now in verses 12 through 17, we read that the invitation is given. Verse 12, And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me, to give to everyone according to his work. Again, for the second time now, Jesus says in this chapter that he is coming quickly, and he is coming with reward. For those who have rejected Jesus, the reward is hell. For those who have believed in Jesus, the reward is heaven. Then Jesus goes on in verse 13 and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Jesus here declares himself the Alpha and the Omega. Those are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. So in a sense, Jesus is saying, I am the A and the Z. I'm the beginning and the end, the first and the last. You see, this this title of Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, That's a title that's used for God. And Jesus here takes that title for Himself. Jesus claiming to be eternal, the first and the last. You see, there are some who believe Jesus was a great guy, but He wasn't God. And yet it's verses like this that Jesus makes it very clear. Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. Jesus is the eternal Creator and Savior of all mankind. Jesus is God. And so, verse 14, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. Now, the word dog mentioned here, it's referring to those who are morally impure. It's not talking about animals. And this verse here gives us a final reminder that those who choose to remain in their sin instead of believing in Jesus, those who choose to continue in their sin, they will not be partaking in heaven. This verse is not trying to say that right outside the New Jerusalem gates, that's where hell is and they'll be looking in wishing they could come. No. Remember last chapter we read how the gates were there and they are beautiful but the gates are open all the time. There's, there's nothing evil to keep out from the gates. The whole new earth is going to be heaven with the Lord, not just the new Jerusalem. But this verse is telling us that those who choose to continue in their sin will not partake in the new earth or in the new Jerusalem or in the tree of life or any of the good things that await for us in heaven. Verse 16, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. Once again, Jesus points to his eternal nature. Because Jesus says that he is both the root or the cause of King David and he's the offspring of King David. Well, how can that be? Well, it's because he is God. It's because he is the root. He is the one that's caused all of creation to come into existence. But when he was born in the flesh in that manger, he was born descended from King David as well. Only Jesus can can do that and fulfill that. And so Jesus says, I am eternal. And now verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Listen to that again. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. You see, God does not withhold salvation to anyone who wants it. It's been said that salvation is free, but it wasn't cheap. It's free to you and I because of God's grace. All we have to do is receive the gift, but it wasn't cheap because it came at the cost of the blood of the only Son of God, of Jesus on that cross. You see, the words, whoever desires, points to that open invitation. C.S. Lewis said it well when he said, There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, Thy will be done. And those to whom God says, in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell, choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek, find. Those who knock, it is opened. You see, the point that C.S. Lewis is making is that, ultimately, we all have to choose. Either our own will... Or God's will. That's, what's, that's the ultimate choice. And so we see that entrance to heaven is free, but it was not cheap. And at the end of all things, we say to the Lord, your will be done. We're going to submit to you. Or God says to those who refused him. Because ultimately with their life of rejecting Jesus, they've said, I don't want you. And God will say, okay, your will be done. Now in verses 18 through 21, we have a final warning. Verse 18 says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. And so for any who would add to or take away from the Bible, they will be cursed. You see, the Bible is God's Word. The Bible is not a buffet. It's not a come and take what you like and leave what you don't. Those are great for restaurants, but not for truth, not for God's Word. God's Word is truth whether we like every verse or not. And so that's why we are called to be students of the Word. To read it, to understand it, and to apply it to our lives. And it's one of the reasons why we see it so important for us to go verse by verse through the Scriptures together. Because we want to look at everything that God's Word says. Not just the things that we like the most. Now in verse 20, it says, He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly amen even so come lord jesus this is now the third time in this chapter that jesus says he is coming quickly clearly jesus wants you and i to live a life that is anticipating his coming and so i think we need to ask ourselves a question do i live anticipating his coming When we remember that Jesus is coming soon, then we're going to have a better time and easier time living our life with that perspective, living our life for the Lord, living our life in service to Him. We need to be anticipating His coming. It could be today. Even so, come Lord Jesus. It could be many years from now. Even so, come Lord Jesus. We don't know how soon but we do know that Jesus wants you and me to live in anticipation of His coming. That last part of verse 20 again. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And then verse 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Are you ready? Are you ready to finally be home? Are you ready to finally be with Jesus. Are you ready to experience perfect joy, peace, and love? Here's a quote from an author named Randy Alcorn. He says, Nothing is more often misdiagnosed than our homesickness for heaven. We think that what we want is sex, drugs, alcohol, a new job, a raise, a doctorate, a spouse, a large screen television, a new car, a cabin in the woods, or a condo in Hawaii. What we really want is the person we were made for, Jesus, and the place we were made for, heaven. Nothing less can satisfy us. I like that. And it reminds me of a passage in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, where it says, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. I love that passage and it puts it so well. May we not glory in anything other than knowing Jesus knowing him you know as we finish the book of revelation i think it's important that we remember that the first two chapters of the bible talked about what life was like pre-sin before the fall before the curse in the garden of eden with the lord and now the last two chapters of the bible talk about what life will be like post-sin after we've been redeemed and we're there in the new earth in the new jerusalem with jesus And everything in between, all the other chapters within God's word, they talk of mankind's failure and of God's redemption, lifting us up out of our own brokenness and being without hope. Think about this with me. What if Adam and Eve never sinned? What if they never gave in to the temptation and we were born and lived there in the Garden of Eden with the Lord. That would be amazing. That would be great. And yet, I think as great as that would be, God would not have had the opportunity to prove His love for us. Here's what I mean. It's one thing for God to love His creation that obeys Him perfectly. But it's quite another thing for God to love His creation that has rebelled against Him and broken his commandments, fallen short. The fact that we are sinners without hope allows God to then do the unthinkable. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. On the cross, Christ demonstrated his love for you and for me. And it was because of our sin and our hopelessness that God had the opportunity to then demonstrate His love. Don't get me wrong. His love was always there for us. His love was this powerful for Adam and Eve before they fell. And yet, there was no need for Him to demonstrate it because they hadn't fallen. But now, because we have fallen, God was able to demonstrate how deep and rich His love is for you and I. You probably remember the, the miracle of Jesus at the wedding in Cana of Galilee when Jesus was at the wedding and they would run out of wine and so he took several pots of water and he turned water into wine and the master of the feast, he came out and he said, you know, normally we give the good wine first and then everybody's had quite a bit of wine and we bring out the cheap stuff but you, you've, you've saved the best for last and here as we finish up the book of Revelation we see that that is true also for God's plan for us. He saved the best for last. You see, God's sacrificial love on the cross, that was amazing. It is amazing. And we're never going to fall short of, of giving Him enough worship and praise for His act of love. And yet, reading about these brief glimpses of what heaven will be like and what our life will be like for all eternity in His presence, we can see that God has saved the best for last. Pastor Sandy Adams says it well, so I'm going to quote him. He says, Adam and Eve were innocent. They knew no sin, but neither had they experienced the depths of God's forgiveness and the joy of His freedom and the severity of His justice and the righteousness of His judgment and thus the extravagance of His grace. They were ignorant of the extent of God's love, But not the man in the final garden. Innocent he's not. He's been through the fire, the pain of sin and death. He's known what it's like to be lost and alone. And now he appreciates that he's been found. He's redeemed by the blood of Christ. He knows God's love. God is not looking for innocent people. God is looking for broken sinners like you, like me, whom God can then redeem, whom He can rescue, whom He can then demonstrate His love to. The Apostle Paul prayed in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 18, in the New Living Translation it says, and may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is is and that's my desire for you and i that we might grasp how deep god's love is for us you know many of us today are are going through pain and suffering whether it's physical pain it's health issues or it's emotional pain maybe you've suffered loss Whatever you're going through, you may feel overwhelmed, and yet we need to remember, Jesus, He knows all. Jesus experienced pain and suffering and loss Himself. Jesus is right now preparing a place for you and for me, and Jesus loves us completely. There is coming a day when we shall stand before the Lord, there in heaven, seeing His face and when we're standing there just try to imagine all of the earthly possessions that we have now all of the earthly achievements that we've accomplished now it's not going to be worth anything there in God's presence there's going to be nothing that we could bring with us or point back to on this earth and say look Lord look what I accomplished look what I did look what I earned It's all going to be worthless because it all pales in comparison to Jesus and knowing him. Think about the most amazing relationship that you have on earth. It might be your spouse. It might be a friend. It might be a family member. And yet, as good as that relationship may be, again, it pales in comparison to the relationship we're going to have with Jesus. Because remember, God knows all. When we're standing there in His presence in heaven, He's going to look at us and we're going to feel bare. We're going to feel exposed. Every thought, deep, minute detail of our heart is exposed before the Lord. But don't get me wrong. We're not going to feel condemned because Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But there in His presence perfectly known, exposed completely before our Lord and Creator, He's going to look at us and He's going to say, I love you. I paid for your sin. I paid for your mistakes. I've redeemed you and I've made you my own. That's the love that God has for you and I. And that is what we look forward to. Having a relationship with our God, with our Creator, with our Redeemer. He is our hope. He is who we hope in. He is who we look forward to. Jesus is our hope. He is coming quickly. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we are overwhelmed as we think about what it's going to be like to be in your presence To experience your glory. To be in a new earth that no longer has the curse. To be in a new body that again is no longer affected by the curse. And to finally have a perfect unhindered relationship with you. Lord, that is going to make whatever suffering or whatever blessings we've had on this earth pale in comparison. And we thank You, Lord, for the hope and the joy that we have in You. Lord, we do pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And Lord, until You come, would You please help us to be a church that is ready and waiting for You. God, may we be like a bride waiting for her groom, ready for You to come, serving You now, bringing glory to Your name, And that's what we ask, Lord, today. Would you bring glory to your name? Lord, today as we get to fellowship in person, Lord, would you bring glory to your name? Lord, as we get to begin to do church services in person once again, Lord, would you bring glory to your name? And God, would you bring more people to surrender to you and to join with your church in praising the name of Jesus? It's in in your name we pray, Lord. Amen. God bless you.